Proverbs chapter 3 is found on page 528 of your Pew Bible. Uh, While you're finding your way there, I want to talk a little about that gospel reading from Luke. There's a whole bunch there, and there's a whole other sermon that deals with it verse by verse. You can find that sermon by looking for my name on YouTube this afternoon or going to sp815.org, our website, and uh, it should be there sometime later in the week if you want more of what's there. I just want to zoom in on that one word that Jesus uses to describe everything that could possibly be wrong with a human being. He calls it the leaven of the Pharisees, but that's a, that's a symbol. That's a metaphor, this leaven idea. Leaven, the idea behind that is you, you put it in some dough, And even if you put a little bit in, it's going to affect the entire lump. That once the leaven is there, you can't get it out again. So he's saying, beware of this. Don't put into your lump, into your life, this leaven. And what is this leaven? It is hypocrisy, he calls it. Hypocrisy. Now, I know you probably have some idea of what that word means, but the way that it's being used here in the New Testament is is pretty uh, well, foundational at least, if not unique. And uh, it's one of those places also where I, I, I like that you you can learn that you already know Greek. Huh? It's not all Greek to you. Some of it's English. The word hypocrite is a Greek word. Hupakrito. You can hear it, right? Hupakrito. And, and this Greek word has a very unique pedigree. It has multiple meanings that change over time. It was not always bad to be a hypocrite in the Greek world. In ancient times, meaning like ancient Greek, think Homer, or even before that, the word meant just to to interpret, right? To have some information that comes to you, and you turn around and you present it, you explain it. In some ways, that's exactly what preaching is. Uh, so if you want to think your pastor's a hypocrite today, I guess you can if you want. But, but we're going to keep moving through history, and the word begins to change in the Greek world. We're not talking about the Bible yet. We're talking about the Greek world. And eventually, it comes to be the primary word for an actor, someone on the stage performing a play. And you can see the connection here, how when an actor looks at Herodotus or at Homer, and it's just a bunch of words on a paper, but he begins to speak these words to you with inflection and facial motions and movements, he's interpreting the text to you, right? And so this interpreter of the text in real time is then what we think of today with the word actor. And in the Greek world, this was neither good nor bad. I mean, it's true, it's a fact of history that those who who tend into theater in the ancient world, in the medieval world, were not always the most honest of people. Um, That's just a fact. But the, the, the Greek world didn't think that actors were bad. They didn't think they were all hypocrites. But the Jews kind of did, at least in this way. That when they wanted to talk about somebody who was a liar, who would say one thing and do another, and they translated their Hebrew into Greek, they chose the word actor, hypocrite. One who has one face to everyone else and one face 
to himself. And the New Testament, picking up on this, Jesus himself, picking up on this, then uses this word, actor, hypocrite, in order to say this is the one thing you really want to watch out that you're not. And notice that he's talking to his disciples. He's not talking about conversion to Christianity. He's not talking to the pagans. He's not saying repent and believe the gospel. He's saying, now that you know who I am, now that you call me Lord, watch out that you don't pretend to be something you're not. And you got that in the Ananias and Sapphira story, right? I mean, that's the very thing they do is they pretend to be something that they're not. Now, here's our left turn, but it does connect. Wisdom never pretends to be something that it's not. The value of true wisdom is that you see things exactly as they are, and you're given to call them exactly what they are. We can also say that the wisdom of the Bible is ultimately trust in God's word. What God has said a thing is, you agree with him. I mean, it sounds kind of simple, but when God says this is this, you're like, yes, that is that. I may not understand it. I may not even like it, but that is what it is. Yeah? And folly is to try to call God the liar, which ultimately just makes you the liar. All right, so getting into Proverbs chapter 3 then, from there, we're going to pick up at verse 13. We're kind of going to swing back a little and look at some of last week's text as well. But we'll start with verse 13, where it says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the two words I want to focus on there, blessed and wisdom. We'll start with wisdom because we're already talking about it. This is an important question. What is wisdom? Who is wisdom? By the end of chapter 8, wisdom is not just going to be an idea. Wisdom is going to be a person. And this person is, well, perfect. This person is said to be there with God when God the Father created the entire world. Helping. Now, is that just talking about how smart God was? Well, maybe. Or maybe God is so unique that how smart he is is that he's a second and even a third person. Two heads are better than one. You've heard that before. Imagine if you were three and you were all in perfect peace and unity. What you could get done. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The church has always seen that in that text in Proverbs 8, wisdom is Jesus. Now, not in a completely literal way, though. It's more of a foreshadow of Jesus or a description of Jesus' attributes. But you might run it through John chapter 1, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. So that is wisdom. But that's not all wisdom is. Wisdom is not only the person of Jesus. Wisdom is the person of Jesus inside of you as an attribute of being awakened from the blindness of your sin to be able to see clearly. And that's really what Solomon's most concerned with giving you. He's going to talk about trusting in Jesus Christ with all your heart, how important that is. It's not as though God in your life is not important. But here, when he says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom, yes, he means the one who knows who God is, but he also means the one who, because he knows who God is, hears what God says, believes what God says about everything, and then is able to see clearly. 
So what is wisdom? I guess you can answer Jesus. It's not wrong, but let, let's not just answer that. What is wisdom? It is clear sight. Clear sight. It's like having the light on in the room as opposed to walking in darkness. And blessed is the one who finds this. Now, blessed, what, a, what an interesting word. I realized this weekend in a conversation with my wife that blessed is the Christian version of the word lucky. Really. Like Christians don't say, oh, I got lucky. They say, oh, I'm blessed. But they never use the word to talk about suffering, chastisement, struggle, the cross. No, no, th those are not blessings. But see, th this is the thing. Biblically speaking, you are blessed, period. All things now in Jesus Christ are a blessing to you. Someone comes toward you and does the most evil thing you could imagine doing. Say your brother sells you into slavery. You end up in a pit. It's a blessing from Jesus. He meant it for good to you. So blessed is the one who finds wisdom because blessed is the one who learns to see that. And if you get nothing else today, see that. That the election of you into Jesus by God's promise means you get to now learn to see that all the vilest chaos the world can throw at you is in fact Jesus working for your eternal good. Maybe I don't feel it, maybe I don't understand it, but I can, I do, I shall believe it. Wisdom then speaks it to yourself. God meant it for good. You've heard me talk about coffee before, man. You know what happened this morning? Oh, can I tell this story? Oh my goodness. So I'm sitting there making coffee, uh, you know, and it's, it's, I've been up for all of 10 minutes, so I'm not really all there. And I'm making coffee, I make my cup, and then I, I'm making a little thermos to bring with me to church. I like to have my coffee between services as well. So I make a little thermos, so I got a Melita drip on top, of my, on top of my mug, not my mug, on top of my thermos. So it's tall, it's up in the air, okay? And I'm just doing it, I do it every morning more or less. I'm doing it, and then uh, my beloved wife brings up the, the puppy Aurelius, our little doggy Aurelius, to take him for a walk. And he's all excited. And my beloved daughter Trinity, who has her parakeet on her shoulder, beautiful little yellow bird, it'll sit on your finger, you can pet him, it's amazing, on her shoulder. She goes, oh my gosh, the dog, oh my gosh, the bird. I turn, I just turn like this. But when I turn, I went like this. Coffee all over the wall all over the ground. I even knocked over my bottle of stevia. It's dripping on the ground out. Oh my goodness. I didn't manage to get the word hallelujah out of my mouth. I did manage to keep my mouth shut. And I think, I don't know if I asked for help, but I at least looked to my wife and asked for, you know, eyeballed, help. <laughs> um, that was for my good. It was for my good. Maybe just so I could tell you this story today, Maybe more than that. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The key of wisdom is to see in that real-time moment, you know, God, God means well here. I may not. My neighbor may not. But God does. Okay, so, so blessed are those who get to begin to see that. Yes? And then he says, and the one who gets understanding. Now, understanding and wisdom are synonyms in Proverbs. 
They're two sides of the same coin. All right, so to see clearly is to know where you stand underneath the truth. Understanding is to be under the truth, but standing, right? And so to see clearly and to stand under the truth, there are two sides of the same coin. It's a starting point for the book of Proverbs. If you've got it open and you can keep your finger where you are and look back at Proverbs chapter one, verse two, you'll see that the whole book says to know wisdom and instruction, to understand It says the words of insight, but that last word there is understanding again, to understand the words of understanding, okay? So he's repeating an echo here from earlier in the book. Blessed are you to see clearly, to stand underneath truth. For, verse 14, the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. We all intellectually can agree with that. What I want is to dispel the hypocrisy of believing we all actually agree with that. We don't, in our hearts, agree with that. Who needs $5 million? I know Jesus. And I know what the Proverbs say. I don't need $5 million. Like, it's true. Oh, man, it doesn't feel true. So the point here, then, when you come to Proverbs like this, I mean, you can kind of do two things. You can, you can go like hyper-modern Lutheran. This isn't really Lutheranism, but it's the way we go with the law a lot, where it's like, well, that condemns me. I have the second use of the law working on my heart. I need to be sad about this and then go to confession. Like, fine, if you feel that way, come to confession. But the other way to see this is more like, Yep, that's who I am. And I want to be what it says instead. And I know I see that. I see the distance between me and true wisdom only because God has given me to see that. Ooh, and that's true wisdom. Huh? Like the seed planted. So see it and ponder it. That even though my body just can't seem to know that the simple wisdom of he is risen is better than thousands of coins of gold. You can't feel it. Want to. That's honest. Yeah. She is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Now, again, if you put it in the big category of eternal life here, right? In which this whole life, your what? 90 years, 80 years, 70 years, 12 years. Your whole life is like a snap in the totality of what we're going to be and live as. You can remember that. When you remember that, then indeed, nothing compares with what is to come. The challenge is we don't ever really get to see what is to come. We don't get to feel it. We just have to believe it. But then this is again a text which says, hey, 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 stop a moment and and believe it. Nothing that happens to you on this planet compares with what's going to happen when Jesus gets back. Nothing. And if you have a bunch of jewels and gold, what are you going to do? Sit on it? 
It's all going to burn up. So what you have now, kind of key tangent, but key here, what you have now is here for now, so use it for now. Don't try to use it to hold on to tomorrow. That's why you want the gold and the silver. I mean, why do you want the five million bucks in your bank account? Are you going to spend it tomorrow? No, you're going to make sure you have money for all the things you want to do. You're going to be safe, right? Well, that's, that's the lie. That's the hypocrisy there, right? So see that in yourself and believe that what God says is true, even if you don't feel it, that nothing that you would desire out of this world compares with what you already got. You already got it. The Holy Spirit's in you. You're alive. You're, you're a piece of God now. Don't, don't hear me wrong. You're still a human. You're not God by yourself. But you're, you're a member of the body of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You already got it. Long life is in her right hand. Look at that. Eternal life. Huh? In her left hand, riches and honor. Mansions. Where now we have tents. Huh? Now, like I said before, though, this is kind of important. It isn't just about Jesus and later, it is about now. Wisdom does make your life better now. It is better to be wise now than to be a fool. If you are a fool, you will probably not live as long as if you're not a fool. That's true as well. If you're a fool, you're going to waste whatever you have. You might have a million bucks, but you're going to look like an idiot. You're going to act like an idiot. Huh? So, so wisdom makes you good with whatever you have. And in that sense, true wealth is ultimately yours when you have wisdom, even if your bank account is not overflowing, you see what you have as enough. And that peace, now, although you get to taste it, you don't get to have it all the time, you get to taste it. That peace surpasses understanding. Yeah? So that verse 17, her ways, wisdom's ways, are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Your way is always straight, even when it looks and feels crooked. God is moving your feet in Jesus Christ on a path through which you cannot finally stumble. It is all pleasant to the one who learns to see it. So that above all things, the death of God brutally murdered and nailed to a cross is for you a pleasing aroma. An image of the greatest hope that there ever was. God, through wisdom, turns the, the mind of man upside down. The thing is, man was already upside down, so God's turning it right side up. Yeah. Clear sight, standing under the truth. Verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. The phrase tree of life is not common in the Bible. It's not all over the place. It's there in the Garden of Eden. And then they're kicked out of the garden so they won't eat of it. And it's there on the last day in the heavenly Jerusalem. With fruit for 12 seasons through every month of the year. There's a new fruit that, that comes out. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations. It's a beautiful image. And then, and then it's here. Calling wisdom this tree of life this this well growth from which you can grab and then live forever so i hope again you can see ah it's jesus that's pretty straightforward jesus on the cross 
bearing the fruit of his blood by which you were bought, pouring from his veins into the very chalice which you drink, becoming one with you. Yeah? That life is now. That life is here. That life is your reawakened trust in God that what you see is not as real as what God says. Yeah, So that those who hold her fast are called blessed. Notice the bookends. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Those who hold wisdom fast are called blessed. By who? By the pagans? No. no. They're going to wonder in stormy chaos what you're talking about. As they wallow about on the ground trying to hang on to the dirt. Oh, I got a little more dirt today. Thank goodness I'm strong. And you're going to stand there looking at them saying, what are you doing? This world's going to end, but I'm going to live. You're going to lift up your head high, called blessed, not by them, but by God, your Father in heaven. I mean, listen, by the end of the service, his ambassador to you, that's me, is going to stand over there. I'm going to say, the Lord will bless you and keep you, right? So, so God is going to bless you. Because you found the wisdom of hearing and listening to his word. There's a shift now into a little bit of a new section in verse 19. You could call it a song about wisdom. It's, it's super deep, honestly. Um, remember, I like to say Jesus Christ for the Lord. Jesus Christ, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. We've already said wisdom and understanding two sides of the same co- coin. The other parallel in this verse then is earth and heaven. And I could probably, I don't know if I'm qualified, but I could try to talk for an hour about the distinction between heaven and earth in Old Testament thinking. Like we kind of just run by that phrase. That phrase is is so deep you can drown in it. The distinction between heaven and earth is the beginning of all conscious thought. It's the way to see versus the way to know. There's all sorts going on behind this idea of heaven and earth. The point here then is to see, Solomon says, that idea that's so big that Pastor Fisk can't even talk about it, wisdom knows all of it. Wisdom made it. Wisdom set it in place. And then it goes further in verse 20, by his knowledge, the deeps broke open. Uh, This probably refers to the coming forth of water on earth, but it could also refer to that first day when the spirit is hovering over the waters and then God says, let there be light. And and what was chaos and void then becomes real and tangible and true. So, So by him, he made chaos into substance. And then how interesting, heaven, earth, the deeps. And would you choose as your fourth, like you're taking the SAT test, how are, you know, which ones go together? You'd say, oh, the do. Heaven, earth, the deeps, and the dew. The dew is a really neat riddle. Um, it shows up speckled, like dew, uh, throughout the Old Testament. And it is always an image of paradise. The Messiah is always connected to the dew. Why is that? Uh, probably, now here's my guess. I can't say this is dogma. But my guess is that before the flood... The only way the earth was watered was the dew. And so in paradise, there were four rivers, and every morning there was a mist that left dew everywhere. So, so dew becomes an image of paradise. 
So again, uh, just to look at the verse, the clouds drop down the dew. He makes paradise. He makes paradise. Now, verse 21, my son, don't lose sight of it. Keep these things before your eyes, inscribe them on your walls, uh, write them on your, on your face. Oh, not literally, but uh, so that you would always see these things. And then here's a fun piece. Okay. He then says, keep sound wisdom and discretion. I am going to quibble to the cows come home about how poorly that's translated. Because sound wisdom in Hebrew is one word and it's not the word wisdom. So you get here in English, you're like, oh, it's the same. No, no, no. It's not the same. It's a different word. It is a word he has introduced earlier in the book, though. And the closest we can get to this in English, I don't, I'm still struggling to find the right one word for it, but it is the thing that you do that always works. Yeah? It's a way of seeing so clearly so as to not make a mistake ever. Pragmatic kind of catches that. Uh, Prudent kind of catches that, but there's another word for prudence, so it's not quite prudence. Uh, It's kind of like counsel as well. It's good advice, but none of those words really catch it by itself. It's its own word, right? To keep this, it works in front of your eyes, which, hello, crucifix. Hello, alleluia. Hello, Lord's Supper. Keep it in front of your eyes. And then discretion is also a major word he's already introduced. And discretion's kind of fine, but it's it's more like the word schematic. If I say the word schematic, does that make sense? What's a schematic? A blueprint, right? It's a, it's a plan that will help you do it right. So these see how these words are connected to each other? Um, a framework. Something you know from the past has worked, so you're going to keep it there so you can see it and know to do it again. So keep this this prudent foresight and the knowledge of the truth from the past in front of your eyes. They will be, it says, life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Now, Now we're going to have the fun. Do you remember from last week, Chapter 3, verse 3, should be right in front of you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. It's called a parallel. So there's something hanging around your neck. It is steadfast love and faithfulness. There's something hanging around your neck. It is prudent foresight and a framework to see. So now... Can you follow me? It's a tough jump here, right? But the prudent foresight is mercy. And the framework to see is truth. Bookends. Two ways of saying the same thing. Do you want to know the action that always works best? Mercy. Do you want to know the past that is able to show you the future? Truth. What God has said again, yeah? It will be around your neck like a necklace. And I'm not talking about my crucifix right now. I mean, like, wherever you go, it's there for you. These words of God that never fail. Then, verse 23, you will walk on your way securely. 
when mercy and truth are bound to you as what you know God is for you, every step you take is secure, even when you stumble. Even what seems insecure isn't insecure, but is merely one more step on the path to knowing he's your savior. That he's going to see the affliction of the righteous and bring you out of that affliction. Yeah? And of course, the knowledge that Jesus has done this for us eternally is there. But you also get to experience this in your life. As pain and suffering comes and goes, and with it you are driven to your knees to call upon the God who answers prayer. And I really want to emphasize that. He is the God who answers prayer. He doesn't always say yes to exactly what you ask for. But he always says yes to what you need. And he's, he's sworn to you that if you ask him, there's a good chance you're going to get it. And I don't want to give a bunch of examples of how prayer has worked in my life. And I'm still praying for stuff I haven't received that I really, really want. But the point is not whether or not I can track it on a code book. The point is I believe he's listening. He's almighty and he's listening. And he knows what's best. He wants what's best. He wants us to learn to see what's best and then ask him for it. And that is a, it is a bit of a trial and error reality. But it comes being tried by the iron that sharpens you in this words of Scripture. Which isn't just the book of Proverbs. Don't get me wrong. Proverbs is just like, it's like the shortcut. I mean, you can sit there and read Kings over and over again. And you'll get wiser. And I think you should read Kings sometimes. But, but Proverbs is the shortcut. Yeah? Psalms is the direct path. I mean, throw in a little red letters. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah? And certainly don't ignore how Paul explains what all of it means as a culmination, an end of Judaism and a, and a bursting forth of the one true religion for all nations. We don't ignore that. But again, the, the, the Proverbs themselves walk you there quickly in the name of Jesus. Yeah? So uh, you will walk on your way securely. You will know that God is for you, not against you. Your foot will not stumble, like I said a moment ago, even though when you trip, it wasn't really a trip. Your brothers sell you into slavery. You realize, ah, but I got to be king of the world. God has a plan in all these things. Verse 24, if you lie down, of course, you can translate that. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. I don't know. Uh, not many of us are like having to lie down out in a tent where bandits and robbers might show up. So I don't know what kind of fear you have when you go to bed. I'm generally not like trembling in my boots, but I am often thinking about tomorrow. Uh, I am I'm concerned about what needs to be. I, I want to manage the future. I want to have a better past. The Sons of Solomon prayers, by the way, are really great for that time of day. Out of the depths of Jesus Christ, I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. If you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. My soul waits for Jesus, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for Jesus more than watchmen for the morning. Yes, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in Jesus Christ from this time forth and even forevermore. That's helpful. Um, and, and it's helpful because it, it really does believe this, right? It, it sees that I'm going to lie down 
And even at this moment where I'm not complete, where I haven't done enough, where I want to do more, Jesus is going to give to me sleep. He's got the universe on watch. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't take a day off. He's taking care of everything. So again, I don't know how much you actually fear when you go to bed, but wisdom begins to see that it's, it's good to go to bed. It's wise to go to bed in Jesus Christ. To have words on your mouth and acknowledge him as God, to know tomorrow morning he's going to make the sun rise. Huh? You will not be afraid when you lie down. Your sleep will be sweet. These kinds of verses always give me a little, a little trouble, extra trouble. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know there's probably some of you out there that have sleep apnea. Uh, if you don't know what sleep apnea is, it means that your throat has a weakness to it. Some, there's various causes for it, but effectively while you're sleeping, your throat closes and so you're going to die. And so that you don't die, you wake up and you breathe again. And then you go back to sleep and you don't even really know you're doing this. But what it means is that you wake up anywhere from 15 to 75 times an hour all night long. It makes for very terrible sleep. Uh, in our modern age, they've figured out that if they hook up a big hose to your nose and shove air through your face, well, it'll get you back down to more like two to five apneas an hour. Um, anyhow, what it means for me is I, you know, every, every morning is like, how'd you sleep? It's like, <laughs> didn't sleep well. Don't ask anymore. I don't, right? And so these verses then, your sleep will be sweet. Like, again, I could be like, well, God doesn't love me because he gave me sleep apnea. You know? um, or, or I can see that it's talking about something completely different. It's not talking about how well your sleep was last night. It's talking about the peace of conscience of knowing that God's got it taken care of. He's watching out. You don't have to stay awake on guard all the time. You can, you can let your guard down because you're in the hands of Jesus. And, and I never can get past these sections of scripture without thinking about David. There's a, there's a psalm where he says, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. Um, he is probably writing that when he is out in the Judean desert with a group of about 600 men on one side of a mountain and a giant army on the other side of the mountain, led by a guy named Saul, who's driven by a demon to want to kill David. I would think if there's ever a time I don't really feel like going to sleep, that'd be it. Yeah. And, and David says again, in peace, I will lie down in sleep because I know that you are with me. He had a special promise. He was going to be king. So that was going to happen in his life. He knew he wasn't going to die. But even if he did die, he believed in the resurrection as well, as his forefathers did, as do we. Right? So again, your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power to let the guard down. Next time you're feeling anxious, I'm not saying it's going to make it go away, but just talk to yourself about how God is in charge of all things, how he's chosen you in Jesus. Write it out. Read it again. Highlight a favorite verse. Come back to it. Yeah? Learn to speak these words to yourself. All right. Um, uh, verse 25 26, do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. Do not with, oh, excuse me, for Jesus Christ will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So this is largely a repeat of the idea that we've been giving, but, but the fact that he talks about the sudden terror 
and the ruin of the wicked, I think is, is kind of important. So I, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody who uh, suggested that, that she believes politically very differently than I do. So kind of full disclosure, I'm kind of on the side that thinks that the current powers are kind of messing up a little bit. This person be on the side that thinks that the, the previous power is still messing up quite a bit. Okay, So the, the reason I share this is that both sides are terrified that the rulers are wicked and they're going to ruin everything. And it might be true, but you don't have to be afraid of it. You can actually know, yep, nations rise, nations fall. And if I live in a nation that's falling, it doesn't mean I'm falling. The future of America is not your future. The future of Illinois, ultimately, is not your future. Although the future of Illinois matters more than the future of America. The future of Rockford matters more than the future of Illinois. Why? Because where you actually are, these stories about the wicked far away and all the stuff they're doing that's going to make it all go bad, it's farther away than down the street. Down the street matters a lot. You know, currently, we don't shed innocent blood in Rockford. They're trying to start. That matters a lot. Huh? Again, point being, if the wicked bring ruination upon us, he will keep your foot from being caught. Does that mean the dollar won't ever go to zero and you'll lose all your savings? No, you, you might. But daily bread... Neighbors who are trustworthy, a church that baptizes your children, those are going to be there anyway. We as humans live for a long time in far worse circumstances than a postmodern civilization. And we can know that no matter what comes our way, it is going to continue to be sufficient. That the Lord is going to provide what, the Lord is going to provide what you need in every single scenario. And whatever the wicked manage to do to us, whatever, whatever government manages to do to us, will not be able to steal from you the wisdom to know that God's going to use it for your good. God's going to use it for your good. All right. I think that's all I have to say there. And I don't have a zinger to close with today. Let's just kind of review. Mercy and truth are sound wisdom and discretion, that is, uh, the thing that works, and a memory of truth, and that these bind around your neck, God's going to do it for you. How? By having you start speaking the words of the Bible to yourself, confessing your faith to yourself. This is to see clearly, and this is to stand under that which is for you and not against you. So as we move into set apart and start to leave Proverbs behind here a little bit in the next coming weeks, let wisdom be your guide as you make your commitment to what you're going to do to strengthen your faith this year. Let wisdom be your guide as you consider what is the right amount to give this year to St. Paul or elsewhere. Do it all with the knowledge that it's going to be fine. It's going to work out. God's got a plan not up to us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.